If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Every day, it seems, we have another sign that this pandemic is coming to a close. First, we had Mike DeWine announced he's lifting his orders. And yesterday, the CDC says vaccinated people don't need to wear masks. Pretty big days. It's this week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with my colleagues, Laura Johnston, Leila Tassi, and back for a special episode, Chris Wernowski. We're going to be talking about unemployment. Chris, as anybody who's listened to this podcast over the year, knows a whole lot and has a great perspective on unemployment. So he agreed to come back and visit with us to chat. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome back, Chris. Happy Friday. It's going to be a beautiful Friday already. I hope people don't think I've been on unemployment. Like that's the <laughs> I know. It definitely sounds like you're the expert on unemployment. <laughs> All right. Let's get to unemployment. Why is Ohio Governor Mike DeWine stripping away $300 a week from people in need, even though it costs the state of Ohio nothing to provide it? Chris Ranowski, I find this to just be a stunning development that's happening in Republican-run states. Take us through the news and then let's have a discussion. I think everybody has something to say about this one. Right. So if you don't know already, uh, the governor has decided that uh, he, we're going. the state of Ohio is going to reject federal unemployment assistance that gave jobless workers uh, an extra $300 a week during the pandemic. Uh, we, we join a chorus of other Republican states like Alabama, Arkansas, Mississippi, and uh, all the others. And, and Dwayne, Dwayne made this announcement. He said uh, that he had been speaking with retailers, restaurants, manufacturing, and other job sectors who told him that they are struggling to find workers. Uh, no word on if he actually talked to employees in those sectors, but the governor said he thinks that additional unemployment money is discouraging people from going back to work, which has become something of a right-wing meme almost. Uh, Democratic groups have criticized the governor saying that wages have not kept pace with corporate profits and productivity. And if employers were serious about needing employees, they would raise pay as many places are sort of starting to have to do out of necessity. Uh, Even a White House spokeswoman weighed in and said, another reason that people might not be returning to work is because they're having trouble finding childcare or they're scared to go back before they get vaccinated. You've been sending me notes about this issue for for weeks now. I mean, you, I think you could see this coming. Um, I guess I I shouldn't ask. Were you surprised by this? But Dewine in Houston made no mention about the low wages employers pay. They made no mention about the hardship. They talked specifically and passionately just from the perspective of the employer. What do you think about that? Well, I think what goes unsaid about this, and and maybe don't people don't look at it from this perspective, but this is kind of a low key labor movement that people are saying, like, I don't want to go back to work, and I think it's offensive to people like Mike Dewine and John Houston that people are saying, hey, 
I, I, I don't want to go back to do this work for this amount of money and no insurance. And, you know, I, I would, I don't think I would be stoked about going back to work if the government had spent months championing my job as essential, then Congress turns around and says, no, you can't have $15 an hour. Or when a company like Ohio-based Kroger slashed hazard pay for employees while the CEO pocketed a $22 million bonus. I think people are starting to get wise to, you know, how 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 companies were taken care of during this pandemic. And, and largely people were either told they had to go back to work or, you know, and now they're losing some benefits. We it's, are talking, though, 300 bucks a week. It's $7.50 mm-hmm. an hour. If the employers raise the wages by $7 and 50 cents an hour, people would work, right? I mean, the, the, the $300 a week, if that's the difference, why was there no pressure put on by the governor and the Lieutenant governor who keeps saying, I've talked to employers and going on and on. Rob Portman put out a big, long press release yesterday, listing all the employers that are saying this unemployment payment is keeping people from coming to work. And what's unsaid is keeping people from coming to work from my low wages. If they were paying the amount of money that they're getting now, they'd come back to work. And I think you're right. It's a labor movement where people are saying, Hey, I don't want to do that job for what you're paying. I, I think I think people people like John Husted and Mike DeWine are kind of reared on that old Reagan era image of the welfare queen and have and, and are so married to the idea of the quote unquote deadbeat on public assistance. And COVID kind of shattered that notion for people because people who never thought they would find themselves on pu- public assistance were suddenly a forced to they were suddenly forced to use it. And and I think canceling these benefits allows them to revert back to that old narrative of look at all these people who don't want to work. So I guess, congratulations, you might have to suffer because Mike DeWine is about to have a tough political primary. You know, I mean, this is this has really become just a, a political issue now. But but the but the thing that strikes me about it is they're treating the workers like pawns, like they're they're part of the machinery for product development. Everything about this is the employer's perspective. Mm-hmm. I need people cheap to, to make money. So help me government squeeze them to the point where they feel like they have no choice, but to come back and do jobs they don't want for money. But, they think is too but, light. But, What's the difference between but, this but, in China? I'll make well, one more point. I'm sorry. I, I, but, but see, notice that people are starting to get wise to the fact that their companies can't live without them. And that's, you know, it, it's a very American thing that we are told that we should be grateful that we have jobs. And what you're seeing now are companies panicked that workers are catching on to the fact that without us, you really aren't going to be making any money. And am I going to care if a Wendy's shuts down? Probably not. You know, Wendy's like these people have people who work at Wendy's have to like sit there and watch them install automated stations that are going to replace their jobs anyway. So what right. incentive do people really have to go back to work? Right, exactly. I, they don't have the incentive. And so what the government's now going to do is squeeze them. And I'll say this, John, John Houston pointed out that there are a lot of job training programs that are available and a bunch of $50,000 a year jobs that are available. But what he doesn't say is that the same hurdles that exist for, for getting retrained to do a new job are the same hurdles that exist for people who can't get back to work now. 
you know, if you're in your 30s and you have kids and the government is telling you to pull up your bootstraps and go back to school, is John Houston going to babysit your kids? I don't <laughs> right. think so. Yeah, that's, that's Layla, Laura. This is Laura, Laura Johnson. Johnson. I, I completely agree with what you're saying, that this is a myopic point of view straight from the employers, that we need people to go to work, so we're going to cut their unemployment so they're forced to go back. And they're not looking at, you're right, the child care issue, which has been so opened up by the pandemic. It should be very you know, apparent to everyone that this is something we should deal with as a society. But also, what is it costing in, in food stamps and in um, WIC payments and other things? Um you know, Obamacare, whatever it is, there are all the, lots of supports put around people so that they could work for minimum wage. And we need to look at the full picture and, and say to these employers, like, you need to pay a living wage because otherwise we're just subsidizing you in other programs. Layla Tassi, you've been trying to get a word in edgewise. <laughs> no, I, I mean, no, I think I think you guys nailed it. I I, I was struck by Houston's quote where, where he said, you know, I've actually talked to individuals who have said to me, it doesn't make sense for me to go back to work because I make more on unemployment than I do working. And somehow he thinks that shores up his point. But I mean, yeah, exactly. That supports the argument that they're not getting paid enough. If they were getting right. paid fair wages, it wouldn't make more sense to keep collecting unemployment. Like, yeah, right. Like, how do they not see that saying that some people were making more money on unemployment is really more of a commentary on the employers than the yes. employees? Precisely. Yes. And, and well, Houston tried to be so, like, you know, kind about, like, I don't blame the people. I blame the system. And it's like, okay, let's fix the system then, not right. just by cutting their pay. But right. what, what was striking to me about that is just how blind and deaf they are to the reality of the people they're supposed to be serving. I mean, they don't see it. They don't see any of what we're talking about. What they see is their campaign contribution companies saying, I can't get people to come come take my jobs. And there was not one mention by those guys yesterday that maybe they ought to raise their wages to cover some of this $300. And again, Portman's thing, I don't know if anybody else saw it, but it was one, it was all about the employer, one employer after another saying it's this $300 that's keeping people from coming to work for me. So why wouldn't you say, well, why don't you give them an extra $300 a week? Right. You can afford it. You're making right. a boatload of money. Nobody has said that in this debate. Right. And, and every company that, I mean, you're reading story after story about every company that got bailout money is, is giving out bonuses again. And it's, you know, we play this record every time we give out economic stimulus that that, the you know, you say you say that DeWine and, and John Houston are, are doing a disservice to the people they they represent they're, they're Look, this is all this is all to make trade associations and lobbying organizations happy. You know, they, they represent them. And, okay. and we forget that sometimes, you know, okay, and, good. And Oh, I just want to say gotta, also. I'll cut you off, Lila. It's, nope. we're, we're at the max. <laughs> You're listening to this week in the CLE. Are the odds of winning the Ohio vaccine sweepstakes and taking home a cool million dollars better than any of the lotteries you can play in the state? Laura Johnston, the, the, this is the, the governor's inducement, kind of zany, but possibly brilliant inducement to get people to be vaccinated which, you know, the CDC gave people even more reason to think about that yesterday. 
But what what are the odds of actually getting the million dollars? Yeah, they're not that bad compared to the regular lottery, and you don't even have to buy a ticket. So if, if every Ohioan that was eligible could be vaccinated, you'd have a one in 1.8 million, million chance of winning a million dollars over five weeks. But if you consider the number of Ohioans that are not vaccinated, we're looking at just under 5 million Ohioans. So that is a much, much um more likely scenario. Compare that to the regular Ohio Classic Lotto. That's a one in 14 million uh, chance of winning. And then if you want to play Powerball or Mega Millions, you're looking at like a one in 292 million or a one in 303 million. So this is not that bad. Yeah, I'm vaccinated. I'm in. (laughs) I, I do think every day we have more information about the vaccines that make it seem like it's just a no brainer. One, it's incredibly successful. The Cleveland Clinic study earlier this week, where what was it, 99.7% of the people hospitalized for COVID had not been vaccinated or fully vaccinated. That says a lot. That means the vaccinated people are not in there. Uh, and then yesterday, the CDC came out of nowhere and said vaccinated people no longer need to wear masks indoors or out, except in nursing homes and things like that. Um, you know, you would think, okay, I'm going to go get vaccinated, even if you hadn't, because who wants to keep wearing the masks? And I know what you're going to say. Oh, come on. Somebody's <laughs> going to say, they're not wearing masks anyway. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, this Layla is Layla Tazi. I, I, uh, yeah. Do you really think that everyone who is resisting vaccination is going to be like, well, I guess that means I still have to wear my mask out there. No, they're also going to join everyone else and and we, you're not going to know who's vaccinated, who's not. It's just uh, this is a nightmare. Yeah, but the <laughs> CDC, what the CDC is saying is if you're vaccinated, you don't have to worry about that. That the, the protection is so good that even if you're exposed to it, you're so you're in yeah good okay. Shape. But I got kids who aren't vaccinated. I can't so, take them. We talked about this yesterday, right? But the good news is, Giant Eagle, you can take your kids grocery shopping because they will be requiring a mask. We have that story up. But so right. I guess the idea is, I'm not spreading it anymore since I'm I'm vaccinated. I can't give it to somebody who's unvaccinated. Do we know that's true? I mean, I don't know. I feel like. I There's... think the studies are leaning that way. I don't think it's definitive, but that but that seems to be where it's leaning. Although you do have the occasional person who's fully vaccinated who gets it. Bill Maher, uh, the news is out this morning, fully vaccinated and tested Oof. positive for COVID. Uh, it's very rare, though. It's an infinitesimal number. Uh, I'm surprised that, that Giant Eagle is saying they're going to continue to keep masks as a requirement. But my bet is we did a lot of those interviews before the CDC announcement, and they have not had a chance to talk about it. I don't what know. That statement, do? came, that statement came out late last night um, after 6 o'clock. So that definitely had been out. I, it, it'll be interesting to see. What and yeah, what will schools do? I guarantee you that is going to be a topic at the next school board of every meeting. And because it's Ohio, I think it's probably going to differ. And the fact that those kids are not vaccinated, so they don't have the same CDC rules there. More well, importantly, what will Cedar Point do? <laughs> <laughs> and we talked about the odds, right? We didn't calculate the odds of getting COVID if you're not vaccinated and you're not wearing a mask in Ohio. But but come on, don't you think the news from the CDC yesterday provided some spark for elation that we're coming to the end of this? I mean, these are this is a Democratic administration. This is the scientists in a Democratic administration. It's not the Trump guys saying, you know what? We looked at this and you're protected. You don't need to wear a mask anymore. That's a big deal. 
I don't know. I don't trust anybody. And my brain has been rewired by this pandemic. <laughs> and my mask, my mask is like a security blanket now. So it's going to be hard to break my habits. Chris Wernowski. This is Chris Wernowski. I think, I think some skepticism is okay in this instance, because I mean, if you think back 14, 15 months ago, when we were having initial conversations about masks, we, you know, we were wrong. You know, I mean, we've gone back and forth on this and, and I think what's, what's, What's what's nice to see that remains consistent is that every new announcement is is confusing as it can possibly be. <laughs> but well, but I think to the Mike DeWine school of announcements. Right, right. And, but 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 I think you know I I think it, it, you have to at some point you have to pull the trigger on this and and see if if everything that we've been doing has has worked as far as vaccines go and you know at, at some point you have to say. Okay, because that will sort of determine what happens next. And and so at some point, it's like, you know, I was forced to travel a couple of weeks ago for, uh, you know, for reasons I won't get into. But I probably wouldn't have traveled for another six months. But now I know I can travel. And so, like, this is going to force us to, to sort of go against that that nervousness and fear that we have inside of us about going out like i I, you know and i think i think this is going to give people and and look we may regress and then we may have to put stuff back in but and i think what will be hard is if we have to put the genie back in the bottle i think that genie's going to be throwing blows like i don't think (laughs) i don't think the genie's going to be very happy about having to go back if we have to I, I got to tell you, though, I'm vaccinated. I feel safe. I'm not worried. My whole thought throughout this pandemic was I don't want to get this and get really sick or be one of the ones that die. The vaccine protects me from that. It's it, with an alarmingly high success rate. So I'm done. I'm ready to toss the mask. I'm ready to 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 move on. I, I We've gotten to the point that I hope to get to. Uh, and I think you're right. You look around if you're in a small room and you're wondering whose air you're breathing. But and we're going to be partly germaphobes. But we have reached the point we were aiming for, and, and we do need to start overcoming our resistance to real life again. Are you going to Are you going to stay away from <laughs> loud talkers like me though? Like be like, oh, you're spewing a lot more. <laughs> in, yeah. Well, in we were we were talking before the podcast. I you know I visited somebody. Last night, I woke up this morning with a sore throat, and I thought, you know, it's been nice going a year without having having any kind of a virus, and I think all of us felt that way. None of us had a cold, right? And now we'll be exposed to them again. But it does, it, look, it's, it's spring. We're heading into summer. Every day that passes, the signs are better, for the U.S. at least, not the rest of the world. feels like we are coming to the end of it. And now we can win a million dollars. You're listening <laughs> to This Week in the CLE how does Cleveland Mayor Frank Jackson want to use the city's half billion dollars in stimulus from the pandemic? And did he discuss those plans with city council members who actually have all the say on how the money is spent? Leila Tassi, it wasn't as specific as we would have hoped. Yeah, no, no, he really wasn't very specific. He held a news conference on Thursday and just sort of broadly outlined how he wants to use this federal stimulus money. And among the ideas he floated out there are investments in housing and demolition, helping residents purchase and repair homes and finding ways to kind of spark private investment for housing and, and business startups. And, and of course, stabilizing the existing businesses that have really suffered during the pandemic. And the city 
also, of course, has to make up for the costs incurred during the pandemic and the $80 million in lost tax revenue on account of, of all the job losses. Jackson emphasized that whatever the city does, it has to be sustainable and have this have long lasting effects. And I think that's really the theme of all these conversations in, in every jurisdiction that's receiving the money. You, you can't squander it. That's the most important message. So you asked about city council. Well, it seems some of them were a bit put out because Jackson didn't consult with them first, nor did he present these findings to them before going public with them. And council really wants a seat at the table in making these decisions. But the good news is all of Jackson's ideas pretty much aligned with the ideas that council threw on the table at a meeting a few weeks ago. I mean, these are almost verbatim, some of their their ideas. So um, I don't think they're going to be very misaligned in uh, in their goals. I think it's going to work out. You know what I found to be a shame about it, though? It's it's kind of more of the same. I didn't find it to be visionary. I mean, what if you took a block of that money and said, we're going to make a two to one ratio of teachers to students in third grade and really make sure kids coming out of third grade for the next five years can read? I mean, we know what the problem is in Cleveland. We know why people don't thrive. It's all of those forces of poverty. And now you have an extra half billion dollars, one-time money that you could try and change the landscape. Why not think bigger? Why not but is think- that is that a sustainable solution to that problem? Because you only have five years of funding for, you know, a small group of kids and then it would work for them, but then you don't have that permanently installed. Uh, well, or or I could like the you idea, make but- it, could you make it a ten year Well, I don't I don't know, but what what you're not hearing is any discussion like that. What mm. is the game changing idea that that could reverse decades of of decline. Look, we know you, you did it, Layla. The the Greater Cleveland Project really illuminated the challenges people in multi generation poverty face. We we know that money makes a big difference. You know, Chris had mentioned in a previous uh, part of the podcast that when people go in for job training, they still got to put food on the table. They still got to take care of their kids. You know, what if what if you figured out a way to do all that? To, to change lives permanently. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about let's expand our neighborhood revitalization project. Let's do it. It just doesn't sound like we're playing large ball here. And this money will come and go. We won't see it again. And it's, and it's, you know, unprecedented amounts. This is Chris Ronowski. I, the, I think, I think a lot of this money will kind of disappear into the bureaucracy of the political machine here. and, and then, and you know, I mean, but, but you say like, oh, he should think big, like you know, he. When has he thought big? I mean, we're putting a, a cement plant in the Opportunity <laughs> Corridor. I mean, we, you know, what, what big idea? I mean, we could turn we could turn Burke Airfield into the greatest municipal park in the United States of America, and and you know, and it just like nobody here thinks in those terms, and, and, and it's like point. you can hope up for hope. That that like someday this 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 small thinking city council and and mayor will do something, but I, I just well, I've given well, up hope. The other point is, change the administration. Yeah, Jackson right? won't and, be mayor soon. So I, I, that's the other question: should, should should we be should we be encumbering that money right now? No, I, I mean I think these are good ideas to throw on the table, but but it should be left to the next mayor to really you know flesh out uh, what the right path forward is. 
You've got Great. a turnover going on in Cleveland right now. There's a new head of the GCP in Beiju Shaw, a guy who was a very innovative thinker. We're going to have a new mayor. We're going to have a new council president. Uh, with any luck, we're going to have a new county executive after next year. Uh, th there's there's a there's a chance for visionaries to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. The county's getting what, oh, Layla, two hundred sixty million, right? So so between the city and the county, we're getting three quarters of a billion dollars once. What could you do with that money to permanently change the fortunes? And I have yet to hear it. All you're hearing is, you know, the same old, you know, and and that just doesn't work. So I I I we ought to make this a. Uh, an issue in the mayor's race. We ought to put it out there. And Chris, you said you're worried the money's going to get squandered. We're announcing this weekend our new project, Yay! Stimulus Watch. Uh, Layla will be the manager, editor of that project. Robin Goist is going to be a full-time reporter. We're going to use the network of Sun Freelancers. We're going to track every dollar. We're mm -hmm. going to see who gets it, what it was used for, and show this community. Uh, so if it does get squandered, it's going to be done so in the sunshine. <laughs> you're, you're listening to this week in the CLE. What is the penalty former East Cleveland Mayor Gary Norton must pay for blowing a federal bribery investigation of others in his city? Chris Ranowski, Gary Norton was probably the best mayor East Cleveland's had uh, in many, many years. He was really working to unify uh, East Cleveland and Cleveland. Then he got thrown out of office because of it. There was politics. And now he's a criminal. Yeah, this is... God, this is such a weird and unfortunate story. Um, just to answer your question that you had in the lead up here, he he will serve some probation. Um, and to go back and explain this story a little more, uh, back in 2018, after he had left office, uh, FBI agents in the Office of Inspector General of the United States, U.S. Or for, for HUD, uh, the Housing and Development they were looking into allegations of bribery and fraud in East Cleveland and that city officials uh, were, were doing some, some shady things with de demolition contracts. Um, they interviewed Norton uh, in September of that year and they warned him, like, don't talk to anybody about this uh, when, you're when you leave here. And then he went out and he talked to his assistant. Uh, a woman by the name of Vanessa Veals, who also ended up getting charged in this because she in turn turned around and told a bunch of other people about the investigation. And so, so <laughs> they charged her with a crime. Uh, the, the prosecutor uh, who, who was at the sentencing um, said that, that in doing so, they, they, they basically had to shut down this big investigation into this, this, this corruption. And, 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 and so, uh, Polster, uh, uh, Dan Polster, who was the federal judge that was overseeing this case, uh, handed down a, a probation term to both Norton and, and Veals of a year. Uh, Veals was also uh, uh, charged with, I, I think she was obstructing justice for deleting some emails. Uh, I, I mean, it was just, you know, it, it was one of those things where I, I guarantee you if he could, if he had a time machine, he would go back and not have that conversation. Because uh, he said he was ashamed and and that he feels like he made the wrong choice and that and that he apologized for it. Um, so there is something that rubs me wrong about this though, where 
you're basically being told you can't talk about something you know about. And he's not under a court order. You know, a police officer says to him, hey, we're investigating this. Don't tell anybody. And that carries the rule of law. I wouldn't think it does. I would think that I'm aware of the investigation and I don't have anybody. I'm not under court order to not. And if I want to tell somebody I'm it's a free country, I can talk about what I know. I didn't even think about that because when I was a you know, when I was a court and crime reporter, when I would go and interview witnesses and people who were victims of crime, a lot of times they would say, oh, the cops told me not to to talk to you. And I would say, like, they can tell you that, but you have a right to talk to people. And so I think that might, I mean, this is a, I mean, for, for torpedoing a federal investigation, a year of probation is a pretty, you know, minimal sentence. So I think maybe that played into it. I I know the judge said he did not want to downplay what happened here, but at the same time, it's like, I don't know. You're right. I didn't even think about that. He made a deal so that he wouldn't have to spend a lot of money on defending himself. But I, this just, this one rubs me the wrong way. We got to move on. It's this week in the CLE. We got time for only one more. So let's go to how is university hospitals changing the way patients could learn they have cancer or get the results of other medical tests without talking to a human being? Leila Tassi, this is a fascinating change. It's it's about transparency, but it sets up some sensitivity, which UH recognizes in the notices it's been sending to people this week. Mm. Yeah, so so now UH patients can see their medical test results in the digital record system before their doctor has a chance to review them. This is a change that it brings the hospital into compliance with a federal law that was passed in 2016, which prevents physicians from artificially delaying the release of electronic records to patients. But that means you don't have the benefit of a physician's interpretation of your test results. So you could end up really panicking over your own reading of your test results. And while you can choose to wait and discuss the the results with your your provider, you can't opt out of the immediate release of your records. So, I mean, I agree with folks who say that delaying the results until the doctor has reviewed them is sort of paternalistic. Uh, I had a doctor myself during one of my pregnancies who notoriously would forget to release the documents. And pregnancy is not the time to keep a person waiting for their test results. But on the other hand, you know, I'm also the person who would see a red flag in my blood work and diagnose myself within five minutes with some like debilitating disorder. So I see it both ways. And um, uh, yeah, so Chris, did you say, yeah, go ahead. I'm in favor of it. I, you know, I, I want to see it right away. And, and if I have questions, I'll call the doctor, but, but I've never been diagnosed with cancer. I I do think, and I know people who have been diagnosed with cancer and it is one of the scariest things they go through. We've all known people that have done that. And I'm not sure if I would want to see just the words on the page that tell me I have cancer or have a human mm-hmm. being in my ear saying, look, okay, here, here's where you stand. Here, here's what you got to do. You know, the, there are a lot of people that have gone before you. Um, I, I, you know, I, I guess you can have that conversation after you get it, but I, I'd, I'd rather see the results. What about Laura Johnston and Chris Ranowski? I, I think they're, so I like this cause I had to get COVID tested a couple of times and oftentimes I would get my result before the doctor could call me and tell me, and it would really put my mind at ease finding out I didn't have COVID. And, <laughs> and, but, but the problem is, and, and, and I've seen this with other medical tests that I've had, it's, it's hard to interpret some of that stuff. So 
if if you're a hypochondriac like I am, you <laughs> you will you will read it and you will read into it whatever your your fear and anxiety might bring to it because I don't understand what 99% of these numbers and 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 terms and things mean. So it sends me down a it sends a lot of people down like a Google rabbit hole trying to figure out if they're sicker than they think they are. But but that works. When you go down the Google rabbit hole, you generally can figure it out. So I we've all done it. We've all looked at our, our blood work and go, ha, 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 and looked. I just, I, I want to know as soon as I can know. And right. Laura Johnson, what about you? I, I would call my mom. She's a nurse. <laughs> and say, is this, is this normal? Is this not? But I, I think where you're talking about the anxiety, it depends where you get your anxiety out of not knowing, which that's me, or out of, not understanding. I guess I would rather have the the information and be able to do my own research. And then, then you can call your doctor, just pester them until they call you back. Right. I, just to be clear, I, I, I love this. I think it's, I think it's handy. And my anxiety aside, what I, I think what I was trying to say is that if it, it would be great, if they could find a way to make the information more user-friendly. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, I just I think it's an enlightened thing to do. I salute mm-hmm. them for doing it. And they've been very public about it. They've sent notices to their patients to let them know. I mean, they, I, this is one UH hasn't always been the best about dealing with the public and under their new president, they seem to really right. be more patient. Well, focused. They have and to that, do this under federal law, right? I mean, all the hospitals have had to comply. Isn't that right? That's what it, the story um, said. Yeah. Well, now now just make it easier for me to know what it costs to get procedures before. Well, forget that. That's not going to happen. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. We have gone over time. What a great conversation. Thank you, Chris, for returning for an episode. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Layla. Thanks to everybody who listens to this podcast. We will have a special episode tomorrow. I have a conversation with our recently retired colleague, Mark Rosberg, about his 43 years in journalism. And we talk about some of the antics that we pulled together a quarter century ago in another city. 